Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. This week continues our series, The Story. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Valley Point. Um, as Eric said, it is always a privilege to get to be with you, and I feel like it's kind of becoming home away from home as I've gotten to be with you guys several times now and always meet new friends every time I come and get to catch up with some that we met last time. And um, so excited, too, to walk through Nehemiah. Um, my dad is a pastor, and when he heard that um, Eric had asked if I would teach that, he's like, how did he let you have that? Like, that's the best book in the Old Testament. Um, so I, I hopefully will do it justice this morning. But when I was in grad school, I actually I graduated from college kind of in the peak of the recession, so naturally I decided I would just keep going to school since I wanted to work in the nonprofit or Christian church world and uh, nobody was really hiring in 2009. And so I went away to grad school and when I finished, um, the economy still wasn't great. Not a lot of churches were hiring and so I kind of was faced with two options. I could either move home and uh, live in my parents' basement, like all great college graduates do, and um, maybe work at Starbucks and kind of hang out and do some internships or something until I could find, you know, my, my real job. And that sounded all right, but not super exciting. And a friend of mine actually asked, hey, I thought... I thought you were going to be a part of a church plant. And I was like, where did you get that idea? He's like, well, I mean, you always hang out with us and and go to these events. And what he was talking about is I I went to seminary, and um, a lot of the guys that I went to school with were there studying church planting. And so they would have these really awesome nights at a cool coffee shop once a month where they would give you free food. And uh, then they would do a Q&A with uh, a well-known church planter or pastor. And so as a poor graduate student, I would go a lot for free food. And uh, my friend Tim was convinced that I was like sold out, passionate about planting churches. And I was like, yeah, uh, not really. Um, I mean, it sounds really cool. I'm glad that you're excited about it. I don't know that I'm cut out for that. And um My friend just really encouraged me, you need to check it out. There's a group of people in one of my classes, and they are leaving to plant a church in Sacramento at the end of the summer, and I think you would be awesome for their team. And I was like, okay, thanks, that's nice. And uh, we were actually headed to a coffee shop together at that point, and we got there and opened the door, and those guys he was talking about were sitting right there. And I was like, well, okay, maybe I need to at least have the conversation. Well, that started a faith journey for me, and I remember after meeting with them and kind of learning more about it and really sensing that maybe God was calling me to this, and I was sitting on on my bed, and I I was kind of trying to weigh these options, like go home, play it safe, work at Starbucks, or do something totally crazy, Uh, move to California where I have no job that's going to pay the bills, I have no car, I have no computer, I, I don't know anybody west of Iowa I mean, this is just not, like, it just doesn't make sense. And I remember thinking that this, that was going to require more faith than I had ever had in my whole life. 
And yet something about it was really scary and really exciting all at the same time. And so I I decided, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. And if God doesn't show up, it's going to be the most epic failure of my whole life, but I'm just going to give it a shot. And did you know that, that I made that decision in May, and we were moving out there in August, and over the course of the next three months, God just continued to show up time and time again. And, and those, like, five essential things I thought I had to have, like, God provided a job within the first week of me moving there. Um, a friend of my dad's owns a car dealership, cut me a great deal on a car that I could afford. Um, I mean, just everything. Another friend refurbishes computers, gave me a free computer. Um, over and over and over again, God showed up. And I moved out to California and got to be a part of this incredible faith adventure. And five years later, I still look back at that. And, and that is kind of a bookmark in my story with God that in that moment, God showed up and God was enough, even when it seemed crazy and insane. And it was in that season that I learned what we are going to be talking about today. Uh, one of the themes of Nehemiah. In fact, it's our upper story statement, and it says that when we are about the business of God, his provision and his blessing will follow. You know, when I moved out to California, I just knew that God was up to something and I wanted to be a part of it, and I didn't really have anything else figured out, but I stepped out in faith and God showed up. He provided and he blessed that little experience and adventure in huge ways. And we're going to walk through the book of Nehemiah today, and that is a theme that we see recurring over and over and over again throughout the book, that when we are about the business of God, his provision and his blessing will follow. Well, over the last two weeks, you guys have heard about Ezra, and you've heard about Esther, and um, we are going to kind of pick up right where you left off, because uh, Nehemiah acts as the sequel to the book of Ezra. Um, all three of those people actually lived about the same time. And the events of Nehemiah uh, begin about 75 years after the temple was rebuilt, which you guys heard about a couple weeks ago. And the beginning of Nehemiah at least overlaps with the time where Esther was queen of Persia. Uh, Nehemiah, the person, uh, was a royal official, and he's the one who kind of Uh, The book of Nehemiah is really taken from his personal journal. And he worked for the king in a special capacity. He was highly influential and very trusted. He worked as the king's cupbearer, which meant that he would taste all the wine before the king would have it, just to ensure that it wasn't poisoned and nobody was coming after the king. He would never have had that job unless he had the complete trust of the king which kind of made him a big deal. And um, it's really interesting the way, like I said, that his life and Esther's lives overlap a little bit, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But I'd like to pick up our lower story right there in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, Now, Kislev is the Jewish month that would overlap roughly our November or December. In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, when I was in the citadel of Susa, 
Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who have survived the exile are back in the, and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. I want to stop there for just a moment because sometimes I think when we're reading stories, at least I can, I can just read, read on through and I don't realize all the time what's implied there. You know, today gates and walls around our cities aren't really a thing. Um, those aren't as important. Um, but at that time, to have a wall around your city was as important, if not more important, than having an army or a police force. I mean, if you can imagine a city with no police force, no accountability for people who do wrong, um, it's, it's a free-for-all. I mean, here is Jerusalem sitting completely vulnerable and exposed. Anyone walking through, any gang or um, anyone with any kind of violent or evil intent went unchecked. They could walk through town. People were unable or at least very limited in their ability to protect themselves, their family, their property and businesses. I mean, this was a big deal. And they, the people of Jerusalem were completely defenseless. And, and we know that God's heart for his people is always for their best. He wants to provide for them. He wants to bless them. And here they are sitting in total disgrace and um, at the mercy of um, anyone and everyone who would want to do them harm. In Matthew 23, 37, Jesus actually um, states something that kind of demonstrates this heart of God for Jerusalem, the city, and the people that live there, um, not just then, but historically. It reads, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and who stone those sent to you, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and yet you were not willing. You know, when we understand what was at stake here, and we know God's heart for his people, it's pretty clear that when we read Nehemiah's response to this news, his heart was totally synced with God's. He had aligned his heart with God's heart. Well, in Nehemiah 1, verse 4, we read his response. And he says, When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You know, Nehemiah spent what we later find out to be about four months just seeking God's heart. He prayed, he fasted, he wept, he mourned for what was going on, and gradually he began um, to, to seek God, and God began to birth in him a dream and a plan for what he wanted, what God wanted for the city of Jerusalem. One of the things that I love here is that Nehemiah hears this horrible news, and instead of just having this sense of justice and activism right, like rise up in him and him going gung-ho to fix the problem, he waited. He sought God. He aligned his heart with God's heart and his plan with God's plan. Sometimes I can get excited or amped up about something, and I just want to charge off and go do it. I want to right the wrong or fix what's broken, and 
And in those moments when we are tempted to do that, we need to be reminded that we have to align our hearts with God's heart. We don't need to just run off and do our thing and wait as an you know afterthought to ask God to step in and bless what we're doing. But we need to seek his agenda. Because when we're about the business of God, not our agenda, when we're about the business of God, his provision and his blessing will follow. Well, Nehemiah prays for months, and when the timing is right, the Bible says uh, he was serving the king and queen, so this would have been a private dinner, not something public, and we know the queen was Queen Esther. So when Nehemiah was serving the king and the queen, <coughs> he, uh, the king notices that something is wrong. Uh, Nehemiah just isn't himself, and so he asks, what's going on? And Nehemiah begins to explain what he's been struggling with, what he's been burdened about. And when the king asks, what can I do? Nehemiah is prepared. He has a list. And it's an intense list. Um, He asks first and foremost for permission to go and help. For permission to go and be present and, and, and help fix this problem. And the trip alone from Babylon to Jerusalem would have taken four months. So this was a pretty extended leave of absence. We later find out that Nehemiah ended up staying for 12 years. So when the king's most trusted official asks to just be gone indefinitely, it's a big request. So he asked for permission to go, and then he, he asked for protection he, it's a long trip. He was going to be going through a lot of different uh, countries and areas. And, and then when he got to Jerusalem, there were enemies that hated the people of Jerusalem that surrounded the whole city. And so he asked the king for some letters that would be um, show the king's endorsement and permission. And um, they would act as some kind of protection for him um, as he went about the business of God. Lastly, this project was really expensive. I mean, to rebuild the wall around a whole city, it was going to require a ton of supplies and materials. And so Nehemiah asks the king, hey, would you fund this project for us? Would you give us the supplies? Would you give us the materials that we need? Well, I love how it works out. In Nehemiah 2.8, kind of the last half of that verse, we read, Because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. Nehemiah gets everything that he asked for. Because he was about the business of God, he experienced God's provision and his blessing. And the gracious hand of God gave him everything that he needed. You know, that phrase shows up over and over and over again throughout the book. And I just love that reminder that it's God who is our provider. It is God who blesses us. Well, the first thing that Nehemiah does when he gets back to Jerusalem is not to gather the people. He doesn't have a pep rally. He doesn't begin drawing up blueprints. The very first thing he does is measure the magnitude of the project. You know, he goes on a fact-finding mission. Uh, he takes his horse and he begins to investigate. And in Nehemiah 2, 11 to 15, Nehemiah records what he found. It says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. But by night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. 
Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall, and finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. As to say that this wall was in bad shape is an understatement. You know, it had been torn down years before, the gates had been burnt, and the piles of rubble were so great that Nehemiah's horse couldn't even pick his way around the piles. I mean, the people had an incredible task ahead just to remove the rubble so that they could begin the project. And yet, this is why Nehemiah did his homework. He didn't take someone else's word for it. He didn't send somebody to go and check it out and give him a report. He personally measured the magnitude of the project. And I think that that is why when he casts the vision to the people, he's speaking from experience. He knows what's ahead of them. He's counted the cost, and yet he still believes that with God's help, they are up to the challenge. And he casts this vision, and the people are inspired and mobilized, and they are all in on this work that God has called them to. But their work does not go unchallenged. You know, I have read Nehemiah a couple of times, and um, I don't know about you guys. I'm sure you never do this, but sometimes when I read scripture and I see these really long names and cities that I don't understand or can't pronounce, I just kind of skip over that part. And I... I went back as I was preparing for today, and I paid a little more attention to the details, and I I noticed something that I've never noticed before. You know, Sanballat, who kind of led the opposition against the people of Jerusalem, he governed Samaria, which was north of Judah. And Geshem was the Arab, and uh, Geshem the Arab governed the area south of Judah. Well, then Tobiah the Ammonite governed Ammon, which was to the east of Judah. And the Ashdodites kind of round out this whole gang that are set against Jerusalem. And they dwelt to the west of Judah. Literally, they are surrounded by enemies on every side. And these, these enemies used every trick in the book to try and stop their work. They started first with mockery and criticism They pointed out every mistake and every flaw. And then they moved past that to just straight up trying to cause division and dissension between those who were working on the walls. There had been a lot of intermarriage, and so a lot of these people had in-laws who were Jews, and and they were leveraging those family ties to try and um, break up the team unity. Then they moved on to discouragement. You know, sometimes the truth is the most discouraging thing when you're facing an overwhelming project. You know, they just reminded them of how great the task was and how inadequate they were. A lot of these people, it lists what their professions were. I mean, they they range from like goldsmiths to perfume makers. These people were not construction workers. They didn't really know what they were doing. And the enemies just reminded them of that. You guys can't do this. It's too much for you. You don't know what you're doing. Well, when none of those worked, they started threatening them with physical violence and even death. Nehemiah records that people actually were working with a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. And he had to set up 24-hour surveillance to protect them from enemies that would attack at any time. Finally, when none of those worked, they attacked Nehemiah. 
And they came after his character and his integrity. And they did this by um, sending, they sent several letters, but the last letter they sent was an open letter, which means that it would have been read publicly or posted publicly so people could see it. And then accused Nehemiah of attempting to set himself up as king. Um, that he, they, they talk about how he had commissioned false prophets to prophesy that he was going to be the new king and the savior of Jerusalem. And uh, they began to, in one statement, uh, they accused him of treason and heresy and a slew of other things. And they invite him, hey, hey, look, why don't we talk about this? You know, this is what we're hearing. Come talk to us. Come tell us if we're wrong. Meet us on the plains of Ono. And Nehemiah says no to oh no. He, he refuses to meet with them. He talks about the great work that he has been called to and, and says, our project will not suffer so that I can come and meet you. In the face of a smear campaign, Nehemiah stayed focused on what God had called him to. Well, it was in shortly before that last desperate tactic of Sanballat to get Nehemiah away from Jerusalem. And really, uh, Nehemiah had a suspicion that they were trying to invite him away from Jerusalem so that they could kill him, and that that would discourage the people from finishing the work of the Lord. Well, just before this last desperate moment, the people kind of hit their breaking point. They were discouraged They were overwhelmed. They were exhausted. And it was in that moment that Nehemiah, who is a phenomenal leader, gives this epic speech reminding them of what they are doing and the God that they serve. And I think it went a little something like this. And Nehemiah said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. How cool is it that we serve the same mighty and capable God who led Nehemiah and who led the people of Jerusalem? You know, the best part of being on God's side is that the ending's already locked in. I don't want to give anything away, but God wins. God wins. And when we are a part, when we are about the business of God, victory is guaranteed. Well, where does this amazing and inspiring story intersect with our story? What is it that we can glean from this to take away and apply during our week? Well, I think first and foremost, just like Nehemiah we need to align our hearts with God's heart. We need to align our hearts with God's heart. What is it that God wants to do through you in your community, here at Valley Point, in your family? You know, does God want to use you as a voice of change at work? Does he want you to step up and lead or get involved in a new way that might stretch you? You know, just like Nehemiah, before we can be about the business of God, we have to understand what that is. We need to seek out God's heart so that we can align ours with his. Well, second of all, just like Nehemiah, we have to measure the magnitude of the project. We have to measure the magnitude of the project. 
You know, Nehemiah took time for himself to go on a fact-finding mission and to learn the scope of what was ahead of him. When God calls us to do something, we need to do our best to understand on the front end what's involved, what it's going to cost, what sacrifice will be involved. You know, there's no value in sticking our head in the sand and ignoring how big a problem is or in committing rashly and signing up for something and being all about it only to discover it's going to take more than we're really willing to give. We need to know what we're getting into so that when we commit, we are all in, knowing as best as we can what's in front of us. Well, thirdly, we need to understand that opposition is inevitable. You know, anytime the people of God are about the business of God, there is going to be opposition. There are going to be those who would stand in the way of our obedience, who will mock us, who will discourage us, who will point out every flaw and every mistake. And that's just the people part of the opposition. That doesn't even touch the spiritual opposition that we will face. You know, anytime we're about the business of God and we want to make God's name big, our spiritual enemy is going to erect every obstacle that he can to keep us from being obedient and crossing the finish line. You know, Nehemiah stayed laser focused even in the face of opposition. And just like he said no to go into the plains of, oh no, we need to say no No matter what the enemy throws at us, we need to stay focused on the task at hand and on on the work of God that we've been called to. When those pressures and discouragements come, we have to say no. When that promotion comes through that's going to take just a little more of yourself than you were willing to give, you have to say no. You know, when family or friends um, tease you or mock you, they think you're crazy because you're keeping your kids out of commitments that will compete with the faith foundation you're trying to build for your family, you have to say no. When God has called you to shepherd his people and lead a small group or serve in another capacity and something else comes up that's vying for that time in your schedule, you have to say no. Because when we are about the work of God, the blessing and provision of God will follow that. And if we want God's best for our life, then we have to say no to anything else that would get in the way of that. You know, even when we know um, that our heart is aligned with God's heart, we know what God has called us to, and we understand what we're getting into, and we have... um, owned the fact that there's going to be opposition and there are going to be people that would get in our way, even when we know all of that, there can still be moments of discouragement. There can still be those moments where the task seems overwhelming or it feels like we've been going down this road for so long and we've lost sight of the end. And in those moments, we have to remember what Nehemiah reminded the people. We have to be bold and remember that our God is able Our God is mighty and awesome. He is capable. And like I said, the victory is guaranteed. We just have to hold on. We just have to be faithful. You know, we don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid that our obedience is somehow going to compromise or affect our careers or our family or our bank accounts. 
because we know that when we are about the business of God, his provision and his blessing will follow. Well, when we know that the task is great, we know that it can be overwhelming and we know that there's going to be opposition, why would we do it? Why wouldn't we be safe? Why, why, why would we choose to sign up for something so hard? Well, Nehemiah records what happened when the walls were finished. When they had made it to the finish line and they were able to celebrate the victory. And I think that that is something we can hold on to in those moments where we wonder, why should I even start? Why should I do something big and scary and risky? Let's read what he says in Nehemiah 6.16. He says, when all of the enemies had heard about this, that the wall had been completed... When all our enemies heard about this, all of the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Nehemiah and the people stepped up to an overwhelming challenge and when they finished it and completed it, when they got to the end, there was without a doubt an understanding even with their enemies that this had been the work of God completed only with the help of God. They stepped up to a seemingly impossible task, and when they made it across the finish line, God's name was made big, and he got all the credit for what they did. Well, when we choose to be, we can choose to be safe. We can choose to take an easier road. Uh, We can choose to lead our families and our teams and our own lives in a way that isn't risky, that isn't scary. But if we do that, we will miss out on God's best for our lives. And we will miss out on the adventure, the crazy faith adventure that comes when we are a part of something so big that it outlasts us. Something so big that when we get to the finish line, everyone, even the enemies of God, will look at us and say, only God. Only God could do that. Only God could redeem that situation. Only God could heal that hurt. Guys, it is my prayer that we will choose the adventure. That we will sign up for the messy, hard work that is following God faithfully and choosing to be about the business of God. Because every time that we do that, God shows up in a big way and he is glorified. May we choose to be about the business of God so that we can experience his best in our lives, and more importantly, so that God will get the glory. Would you pray with me as we close out this morning? Father, I thank you so much that you invite us to be a part of the adventure. Lord, you give us a role to play in the story that you're writing, and uh, Father, I ask that you would give us the courage, that we would be willing to step up and say, okay, count me in. Lord, even when we know we don't have enough faith to do this, would you give us the faith? Would you make us willing to step out and to trust that you will show up and that your provision and blessing will follow us when we are obedient? And Lord, we promise that we will give you all of the glory as you accomplish big things in and through us. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 
at 9.15 or 11 a.m. 